Blog Talk Radio. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me. My email address is SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. If you've missed a show or you want to share with friends and family, all the shows are archived. You can check them out here at Blog Talk Radio, but you can also check them out at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and several other places where you get your podcasts. Just look up Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. Also, you want to stay tuned with the social media because I do a lot of giveaways, books, gift cards, show tickets, all types of things. You don't want to miss an opportunity to be a winner. So uh, keep your eye out for that. This morning, I'm talking about a subject many of you may not be aware of. It's a health condition, um, and it affects affects a lot of African-American women, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. It's called sarcoidosis, and this is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. So I have two what I'll call specialists uh, in different ways uh, here to help me explain to you what it is and, and, and how you get it and all these types of things. So my first guest, uh, she focuses to improve the clinical care of patients with sarcoidosis and to be an advocate for them. She is a clinical associate professor of pulmonology and the director of sarcoidosis and ILD programs at the University of Florida. Good morning, Dr. Divya Patel. Good morning. How are you? Thank you so much for calling in and, uh, you know, taking the time to, to share your knowledge. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to talk with you today and talk about sarcoidosis. That's wonderful. Um, I also have another guest who is also a specialist, but in a different way. She was diagnosed with sarcoidosis in 2011 after it attacked her larynx and affected one of her vocal cords. Um, but she works um, to help other people trying to understand what's going on with them. I'm not going to tell you any more about her other than that her name is Erica Courtney Mann. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us on the show and giving us this opportunity to talk about sarcoidosis. Yeah, uh, like I was telling you earlier, I think I've only done one or two maybe shows about this topic, which is kind of weird because I, I do a lot of uh, repeat shows because, you know, you get new listeners or uh, somebody else might not be aware or, or somebody might get diagnosed this year or next and they need to know what's going on. And I was looking like, when was the last time I did a show about this topic? I was like, oh, I better get on it. I'm, I'm slacking. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I said, let me, let me really try to, you know, press forward with um, doing a show on this topic. Um so I want to start with the doctor, Dr. Patel. You know, what is sarcoidosis? Yeah, sarcoidosis is a health condition that not many people have heard of because it is rare. Uh, it's an inflammatory disease, and it's characterized by a formation of tiny clumps of inflammatory cells from your immune system, and they're called granulomas. Those granulomas can impact 
any of your organs in your body and multiple organs at the same time. And it's, and it's usually because your immune system is in overdrive. Um, and when there's too many of those clumps affecting any organ in your body, then it, you know, impacts how that organ works. Wow, it sounds like really painful. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the um, Foundation uh, for Sarcoidosis Research. They're the people that helped connect me to Dr. Patel and Courtney Mann, and their web address is sarcoidosis.org, really easy to find. And uh, they are really uh, trying to help African-American women learn more about uh, this illness. Not that other people don't get it, but let's talk to Erica. Did you know anybody who had this before you were diagnosed? No. The only time I heard about someone having sarcoidosis was when Bernie Mac passed away. Mm. Bernie Mac. Oh, my God. I don't know what it is. I just loved him. I loved Bernie Mac, and I was so really sad. I didn't know him, but I was just he just seemed like a really genuine guy, you know, just a straight shooter. And when he passed away, I was like, damn, you know, and yeah, that was really to sad. Day. That's my fellow Chicagoan. Right? So, yeah. Right. Okay. You're from Chicago. Okay. Shout out to Chi-Town. <laughs> yes. Um, indeed. Indeed. So let's talk about your symptoms. It attacked your larynx. Uh, what, what did you feel? Yes. Where were you? What, what so, happened? I consider myself lucky. Um, because it went on the attack, it attacked my larynx, I was able to get a diagnosis very quickly. Um, I went into my doctor's office, and I just kept complaining about being tired. Like, I couldn't get rest. I was fatigued all the time, but extremely Mm. fatigued. And I'm lucky that my primary care physician saw me as a person and we had a good relationship because she noticed that my neck was, like, huge. And I kept going, oh, it's just baby weight. It's baby weight, nothing's going on. And she's like, yeah, your neck's not supposed to be that big. And my kid was literally going on three. So when they scoped me, they saw two granulomas, and they saw that one was sitting on my vocal cord and it wasn't moving. So they were like, hey, you know, you got to have a laryngoscopy. we got to remove these granulomas. And by the time I got on the table, my two granulomas turned to six granulomas, and they did a biopsy, and that's when I was given the diagnosis of sarcoidosis. Wait, so how long, like how many months passed before they jumped to six? Uh, Not that long. It was in the span of like two months. So sarcoidosis was really on the attack, and it was really active at that time. So I consider myself very, very lucky. Dr. Patel, is this what you hear, that things can be – small at first, and then in a short period of time, they, you know, boom, explode explode like that? Yeah, sarcoidosis can present like that. But, no, sarcoidosis is, it it can do anything it wants to do. There's some people who have chronic disease where it, you know, slowly gets worse over time. There's some people who have chronic disease that kind of stays the same. And then there's people like Erica who her sarcoidosis just really came on suddenly and was very active and progressed really fast. So every person is different, and every patient who um, may have different organs involved. One thing I'll say about Erica's situation is the larynx, which is also your voice box, 
that's not a common place for sarcoidosis to occur. So her situation was even more unusual because of that. Now, are men or women more likely to get it? Who's more likely to get it? So definitely women. Um, There's been lots of studies done about who gets sarcoidosis in the United States. And hands down, it's women more than men. Um, And specifically, I want to mention that black women um, get sarcoidosis at um, have higher rates of getting sarcoidosis and have a worse worse, um, presentation of the disease, and they're disproportionately impacted. Why is that? Is it something eating? Is it genetic? Is it environmental? Do they do they have to have somebody in their family that has it? So um, that's a really great question. I, I wish we clearly knew the answers for that. But there are more and more studies being performed that show that it's likely an interaction of your genes and something in your environment that your immune system you know, it got exposed to and it was activated by. So, mm-hmm. you know, I always tell my patients, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. You, you didn't cause this. Um, you know, a lot of patients do have family histories. And so a lot of my patients will say, yeah, you know, my aunt, my cousin, you know, my parent had sarcoidosis. And that keeps them kind of, you know, alert to those kind of symptoms. And, you know, they hopefully bring that up to their doctor. Erica, do you have anyone in your family that has sarcoidosis? I have a um, cousin that found out they had sarcoidosis. Is that before or after you found out about your situation? It is after. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, when you got the surgery, how long did it take for you to recover and then uh, you had another bout, so there was a, you were in type of remission? But how long did it take you to recover and, and, and just go back? To, were you able to go back to your quote-unquote normal activities, or what did you have to change? <laughs> um, nothing will be normal again. <laughs> um, so it took me about, it really took me about four weeks to heal. Um, and like most black women, I kind of had my cape flying, and I was like, I'm going to go back to work in two weeks, and it's going to be okay. And mm. after the first two weeks, I was like, whoa, I'm not okay. Um, so it took me four weeks to heal up from the surgery, but little did I know the sarcoidosis moved from my larynx to my lungs. So I ended up having pulmonary sarcoidosis shortly thereafter because I guess when we removed it from one place, it was like, hey, I'll set up shop in your lungs, no problem. Um, right, right. And I was, um, again, fortunate. Somehow I went into a weird remission for um, quite some time, and then I came out of remission at the end of 2017. Wow. So is life that, has been um, kind of normal, but I've navigated. Yeah. I still have the fatigue um, I have the shortness of breath because I have pulmonary sarcoidosis. And then after I came out of remission, I now have oral sarcoidosis as well. Dr. Patel, what can um, – that sounds like the regular – or I should say, hate to say regular because you said it can happen in different places, but the, the lungs, but now she has it also in, in her mouth. Is that also normal, like you go into remission and then it pops up in another place? 
Yeah, so sarcoidosis, I always remind my patients that it's a chronic disease. So once you have it, you know, you need to, you know, think about that in regards to your symptoms for the, for the rest of your life, and you need to be checking in with your doctor. It's kind of like diabetes. Once you have diabetes, even though your blood sugar is under control, that doesn't mean your diabetes is gone. You're still diabetic. So um, sarcoidosis can go into remission, and there are many women and people with sarcoidosis, thankfully, where the disease does go away on its own without any treatment at all, which is really great. But then there's about 30% of the population with sarcoidosis that continues to have chronic disease or disease that kind of mits and then gets active again. And I'll give you an example. I had a patient who's had sarcoidosis probably for, you know, 30 years, and all of a sudden, you know, 30 years later, it popped up in his heart. 30 years later, it popped up in his heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. So mm-hmm. let, me, um, let me ask you, what types of um, diagnostic tools do you use? I mean, her doctor saw that her neck was big, but um, if it's, say, mm-hmm. you know, in your heart, is that he was having, like, high blood pressure, um, like blurry vision? Like, what, what types of other tools and ways do you diagnose sarcoidosis? Um, So sarcoidosis is challenging to diagnose. Um, Nothing is easy about this disease, but what we do is we take the clinical factors like the symptoms. So for my patient with cardiac sarcoidosis, he was having palpitations or irregular heartbeat. Um, So first you look at the, you know, back the clinical picture of the patient. Then you take, you know, we usually use tests like For example, the lungs are most commonly affected, so oftentimes we do breathing tests and we do chest x-rays and CAT scans, so we use that information. And the last piece that, you know, oftentimes is very critical is a biopsy that shows those tiny clumps of cells that I mentioned earlier called granulomas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we need all three of those pieces. All three, Mm mm-hmm. Okay, okay. And should they go to a pulmonologist such as yourself? So pulmonary doctors um, and rheumatology doctors are the group of doctors that probably have most experience with sarcoidosis. I highly encourage patients to look for uh, to doctors that, you know, commit some of their practice or, you know, they're committed to sarcoidosis patients because it's not a disease that, Lots of doctors are, you know, experienced with managing. So as you mentioned earlier, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, their website is stopsarcoidosis.org. They have a physician finder tool. So you can go in there, put in your information of where you live, and it'll give you a list of different kinds of doctors that live in your area that have some experience with sarcoidosis. Now, um, Erica, are you taking medication? Uh, are you comfortable sharing what you're taking? Oh, yeah, sure. I am taking azathioprine, and so that helps me manage my sarcoidosis. And then um, I am on vitamin D supplements as well because for me, and it's, it varies per individual. That's why they call it the snow, one of the snowflakes disease. Um, I can't let my vitamin D get low at all. Okay, Dr. Patel, is that 
is that true for everyone? Vitamin D is an essential, like, powerhouse, like a punch in the, in the, in the gut for sarcoidosis? Or vitamin D. Well, for so, some people, um, you can't let your vitamin D get low. Yeah. So it's it's mixed. So, yes, there are people, and, you know, there's been more and more research on vitamin D and the impacts that it has on your body. So people who have low vitamin D, even if they don't have sarcoidosis, can get fatigued, they can get joint pains, all kinds of things are associated with it. But, you know, there are patients with sarcoidosis who really need vitamin D supplementation to help, you know, control those symptoms and um and feel better, but there's also patients who have the opposite. So um, frequently, patients with sarcoidosis in whom their disease is active, they can get um, kidney stones. And, you know, uh, and it may be, sometimes it's hard to distinguish, you know, is it kidney stones because they just had kidney stones or is it from their sarcoidosis? But there's two types of vitamin D in our body. And when you check both of those types of vitamin D, it gives you an idea of whether it could be the sarcoidosis causing it or not. So some patients mm-hmm. need vitamin D supplementation and other people need to take vitamin D out of their diet. Okay. So you have to be really careful. So everybody go to your doctor and find out for yourself what you need. Um, you know, the show is, mm-hmm. is like a general information uh, just to make people aware, but I don't want you to say, oh, well, they said I should do this. Um, check with your doctor, your personal doctor, first before you proceed in, in certain treatments. Now, Erica, are you doing any alternative types of medicines like um, acupuncture or um, Reiki or massage? Or Is there any other things that you do? Uh, no. I, I'm very kind of in tune and into the science and following my rheumatologist and pulmonologist recommendations. But one of the things that I realize is that I find out what triggers my sarcoidosis flares, like stress is a trigger. So I try to avoid um, unnecessary stressors and stressful situations. And then also I try to not um, overeat um, inflammatory things because um, I love a good hoagie and a, <laughs> and a good pizza puff <laughs> and all that great stuff, but sometimes it does not love my body back. So I try to um, have a really good diet with um, anti-inflammatory foods. Dr. Patel, can you tell us about any other anti-inflammatory types of foods that will be good to eat? Yeah, I mean, so, there, you know, there are lots of – there's research on – food groups such as dairy um, that potentially causes more inflammation. There are some people that are sensitive to gluten. It's individual to each patient. And honestly, sometimes it takes a lot of experimentation, kind of what, you know, Erica mentioned that you got to pay attention to your body. Like if you're noticing that certain foods are, you know, really causing certain symptoms, you know, sometimes I tell patients have a notebook and write things down because it's easy to, you know, forget, to overlook, or not notice. So have a notebook, write down how you feel and and what's going on so you can keep track of things. Um, But dairy and gluten are the main things that I think um, that that has the best evidence about inflammation. Um, So those are, you know, those are dietary things. 
The other things I will say is that exercise is very beneficial for sarcoidosis. So a lot of people with sarcoidosis have severe fatigue, fatigue to the point that, you know, it's hard for them to get up and do the things they need to do day to day. And one of the best things that's been shown for managing that is actually exercise. Um, so is there specific types of exercise? exercise? Like cardiovascular so we, or is it weight training? What, um, go ahead. So it's both. Um, yeah, so, I, so there are studies, exercise-based studies, for people with bad fatigue and sarcoidosis, and they say that you need a little bit of both, so both the cardiovascular and, you know, not like bodybuilding, but a little bit of like weight lifting to the point that, you know, you're keeping your muscles toned. Um, another mm-hmm, type mm-hmm. of exercise that's been shown to be really good is Tai Chi. Um, mm. Tai Chi has been, yeah, it's been shown to help with the fatigue. And um, in fact, the, the foundation actually does online sessions to teach people about Tai Chi. There's been one small study that shows that Tai Chi can help. But the other things I mentioned to my, my patients is, you know, if you have a YMCA near your house or a gym that you belong to with a pool, um, water exercises are great for joints. And, you know, a good way to, like, if you're feeling really tired, you're not, it's going to be hard for you to go straight into running on a treadmill. So what I tell right. people is start slow, ease into it with some maybe aerobic exercises in the pool. A lot of YMCAs have classes. A lot of gyms, um, you know, allow people to have some free time in the pool to do some aerobic exercises. So water sports is one good way to start, or water exercises is another way to start. You know, um, you talk about the Ys being in neighborhoods. Uh, Unfortunately, since I've done so many different shows on these different health topics, um, and I focus a lot on African-American community, in the community, a lot of times there are not gyms. There are no gyms. (laughs) There may Mm -hmm. not even be parks, depending on where a large population of people of color live. So I think it's important mm-hmm. for doctors, not saying that you don't, but just for doctors and also for people in general to, to not feel bad or overwhelmed. You know, sometimes doctors may say, oh, why don't you go to this or why don't you go to that? And you're like, there's nothing yeah. in my neighborhood and I don't have the energy. Yeah. But what I'll say is there's a lot of stuff online now. Fortunately, I think more so because of the pandemic. So I would say try to look online um, for for options and also look to the Foundation uh, for Sarcoidosis uh, Research, and they have um, online support groups. Um, they have uh, got lots of links uh, on their page to help you find a support group in your city or uh, that you could just, like, put your city in and then submit. Um, and then they have um, connections with other national organization of rare disease support groups, um, and they have uh, other listings here that would be really helpful. And those people may know of things that you may not be aware of that you could connect with in terms of doing the exercises and things, or maybe they have something online. But I know there's just so much online exercise going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. like you said Tai Chi. I've heard Tai Chi being good before, like for multiple sclerosis and other types of like uh, autoimmune diseases, um, which is so mm-hmm. weird when you say that people are fatigued and Tai Chi is like slow, mm-hmm. you know, it seems, it seems yeah. like, um, yeah. like that it wouldn't be the right thing. Erica, have you ever t- tried Tai Chi? 
I have never tried Tai Chi, but I am going to try now. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Erica, let me ask you this. What do um, friends and family do? You know, when somebody gets an illness, a lot of times people either shrink away, sometimes their friends drop off, and other times people are, like, overbearing. What do you think is a happy medium for friends and family to be able to support a person once they're diagnosed? Um, I think they should always, you know, know it exists, acknowledge that it exists, um, educate themselves on the signs and what to look for so that they can care for their loved ones and support them, um, know what signs to look for so they can educate others who do not know. So the mm-hmm. more people that know about sarcoidosis, the more people with sarcoidosis can be supported. Um, empower their friends and family members and colleagues who have the disease to keep having conversations with their primary care physician and their specialist and support them in getting to um, appointments or just having a safe space to talk about their health issues, that um, is worth its weight in gold. And also they can refer their friends and family to the FSR website so they can find a local specialist or physician who may have expertise uh, with sarcoidosis. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Stopsarcoidosis.org is a website you can go to to learn more. The CDC has information. The NIH has information. Um, If you think you're having these symptoms, you know, don't hesitate. Don't wait. You heard Erica's story. It happened pretty fast. In a couple months, she had two, and then all of a sudden she had six. So don't wait. Don't delay. Um, Dr. Patel and Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having us and giving us this opportunity to spread the word about sarcoidosis. You're welcome. You're welcome, Dr. Patel. Thank you again. Um, A wealth of knowledge from both of you from different perspectives I think will be helpful. The show will be archived. You can listen to it on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Stitcher, uh, Google, as well as here uh, at Blog Talk Radio. You can also follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Uh, Dr. Patel, Erica, are you guys online? Do you want to share your online info with people if they have questions, or how do you feel? Um, it's up to you. Well, I, yeah, tell I have people, a Twitter. you want to learn more? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go ahead, Erica, please. I want you to mention. If you want to learn more, <laughs> go to stopsarcoidosis.org forward slash AAWS dash campaign. That's the Ignore No More webpage on the FSR website, and it has such a great toolkit for people who have sarcoidosis and those who support people with sarcoidosis. Excellent. Dr. Patel, you were going to say something? Um, yeah, besides the FSR website and the, um, the campaign website, I have a, I have a Twitter, um, a professional Twitter page that's dedicated to sarcoidosis and, and you know, research and things like that. My Twitter is at D-I-V-Y-A-C-P-A-T-E-L-D-O. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Thank you, ladies. I hope you guys have a great weekend. You can go back to sleep now, okay? <laughs> Have a good weekend. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. you too. Okay, I'll talk to you thank later. You. All right, bye. 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 <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with uh, author uh, Umar Turaki uh, about his book. So stay tuned uh, in a couple of seconds. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.